What's up, friends, family, loved ones? I hope you're doing well. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Promises Behavioral Health. Uh, Let me ask you this. Have negative impacts from anything that has been going on in the world right now with the uh, plethora of things that that have been going down lately, um, has any of that affected your job, your social life, your well-being? Are you drinking more? Are you finding your habits uh, are really not lining up with the way that you'd like to live your life? First of all, let me tell you this, you're not alone. Uh, There's plenty of us out there who have gone through and who are actively going through the same thing. And I think that's an important thing. This uh, alcohol drugs tend to isolate us. And uh, now we're dealing with pandemics and protests and riots and all kinds of things going on in the world today. And just trying to stay sober uh, can be a really difficult thing. So if you're struggling through the pains of addiction, you have a mental health disorder, why wait? Now's a great time. There's no better time than now. Let's jump in. You can do this thing just like all of us have been able to, uh, to do and continue to do. Uh, it's a process and this is an opportunity. It's a great way to look at it. What is the opportunity in any situation to get back on track, uh, to being the real you, to, uh, to reconnecting relationships, all that good stuff. Uh, Promises Behavioral Health is here. They can help you with that. Uh, they have some great resources to connect you with. Uh, you can call for your, yourself, for a loved one, uh, get the information that you need. Uh, I've worked with these guys personally for quite a few years now. They're great people. They care. They have loved ones, friends in recovery, so they get it. And uh, let me tell you how you can learn more about Promises treatment options and where some of those options are uh, near you. You can go to promisesbehavioralhealth.com slash sober guy. That's promisesbehavioralhealth.com slash sober guy. They've created a great uh, page over there with resources and uh, some photos and uh, some good stuff you can check out there. Or you can just call. Pick up the phone, 888-205-1890. That's 888-205-1890. Tell them that you heard about them from That Sober Guy podcast. All right, I got a great episode for you today. My buddy Marcus Marshawn is here, and we're going to talk about a couple of books he has out right now, share some of his story, and talk some recovery. So hope you're doing great. Uh, Kick back, sit back, uh, jog, jogging, whatever it is that you're doing right now as you're listening to this, but just take a minute as we hear this intro from humans, drop in, and let's enjoy the podcast. Guy Podcast contains adult content, merciless truth, and emotional nudity. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Shane Ramey. You're listening to That Sober Guy Podcast, and we help people stay sober. Be sure to check us out at thatsoberguy.com. You can also connect with us on Instagram, at realthatsoberguy. You can also check us out parlor at real that sober guy as well uh today's guest is my buddy marcus marshan and marcus is the author of junk knowledge uh this is how i stayed sober and his newest book is titled the darkest chapter a messy guide to dual diagnosis he's a local guy he's out here in northern california in the san francisco area uh, which is not too far from vacaville here uh we've connected back and forth for a while and i'm super excited to have him on the podcast today we finally found some time to link up and connect and share some recovery with you so marcus my friend what's up man how are you Hey, Shane. Thanks for having me on. This is great. Yeah, this, uh, it's really good to have you, man. I know it's taken a minute for us to kind of finally connect. And yeah. you sent me a couple copies of the book, so of both books. So, number one, just want to thank you for that. Um, awesome stuff there. You got a great story, and we're going to dive into some of that today. Uh, first, before we do that, how's things with you, man? I know you're out in the Tenderloin in San Francisco, and uh, it's, it's getting crazy <laughs> all over the place right now. And we're yeah. trying to hang in there, stay positive, stay sober. And, uh, man, so... So uh, what's what's going on out that way? Well, it's funny, like just under what well, this is, this will be my fourth week living in the Tenderloin. I was in North Beach, mm-hmm. but I took a job um, being a property manager at a, a resident, uh, six, 70 units people live in, you know, so they're all studios. It's been a great time getting to know people. So yeah. I'm getting to know people living in tents and helping them out a little bit if I can. Yeah. So really great people in strange situations. So it's, yep. it's, it's a mixed bag here, but uh, I personally am, I'm doing well. Yeah. So, so you're, you're originally not from San Francisco though, right? I'm from Portland, Oregon. Okay. Yeah. Got it. And when, when did you come, when did you come down? So you're West coast guy, but when did you come down, yeah. down this way? Well, I, I used to work in hotels before the COVID thing happened. I was mm. a concierge. I remember that. And yes. uh, I started in Portland uh, with a, a large company 
and then I tra- I went to Key West for a while and I lived over in Key West and then living on a two by four mile island was a little bit isolating. <laughs> yeah, just a little. <laughs> and uh, it was, I was living in employee housing and I had a roommate and that was a crazy, you know, I'm almost 40 years old at the time yeah. with a roommate. It was strange. Yeah. So I, I transferred over here. I mean, I grew up coming here in the eighties and nineties and uh, I have family that lives here in Oakland and Burlingame and I was just my uncles. So I'm here now. I've loved it. I've been here all, all four and a half years. I, I love it. It's crazy. Like it's yeah. all the stuff we complain about. It's all the stuff we love. So it's <laughs> and isn't that time. weird? Yeah. Like we complain about stuff, but we love it at the same time. Yeah. It's, it's like you only want what you can't have that type of thing. And it's, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's an odd thing. Um, <laughs> well, man, dude, let's, uh, let's, let's kind of hear a little bit about, uh, you know, your story, kind of where this started for you. You've authored two books now, your recovery advocate, helping a lot of other people uh, by sharing your story. Um, where did this kind of start for you? Was it in your childhood? I mean, maybe take us back to what that looked like and then we can go from there. So like, how did I start writing the books or? Uh, no. So how, so, well, how did, your journey with addiction and then recovery kind of, kind of start. And I know that, I know that both of the, I mean, that's both of the books, right. But at the same time, maybe give folks like a little synopsis of this or or a peek into, into junk knowledge. And then we, we can jump into uh, the darkest chapter. I get what you're saying. Well, um, I was, I'm 41 years old. So I grew up 1979 right there and a kid of the eighties and nineties. And, uh, you know, my story is like a lot of people's story. It's a um, single mother for a while. You know, my my biological father, he was, uh, he has bipolar two disorder, um, history of addiction. Um, he just was too sick to be a dad. So he was all yeah. over the place. And so I, we've made amends. We're both, we're both in like uh, 12 step programs. We work our programs. We've talked about this stuff. We've, we've hashed it out over the years. And, uh, but my mom got remarried when I was about five years old and we moved from kind of the suburbs to way out in the country. And all of a sudden I'm living on a farm and it was just a culture shock. And I hate, I didn't like it from the very beginning. Yeah. And, uh, they, I was an only child until I was about six and a half, almost seven. And my half brother came along. So I think that's around the time my brother was born when I was about seven years old. Cause I liked everything to be all mine. I was, yeah. I was, I was selfish, self-centered little boy, you know, yeah. and I was the first grandchild, the first son. I was the first of a lot of things and I liked all that attention. It felt really natural to me <laughs> and I, you know, and I played up the part and then all of a sudden I had competition living in the house and I didn't like it. <laughs> and, uh, the stepdad and I didn't get along, of course. And my mom's in the middle of it going, how do I fix this? And, you know, just, yeah. we all, we, a lot of us have that story or a story like it. And I mean, I didn't start using anything until, I mean, I was spick and span clean. You know, I went to Catholic school for a couple of years out in Beaverton, Oregon. And, uh, I just, I don't know what, I went to a party in the ninth grade and I drank a 40 and smoked some pot with a bunch of people I didn't know. What, ca- what kind it, of 40? It was during the spri- what yeah, kind of 40? During spring break. What kind of 40? I need to hear what kind of 40. I'm a 40 connoisseur. Old E, baby. I knew it. Yes. Old E, E, the St. Ides, the 211. (laughs) That's what we did back in the day too, man. I just had to clarify that real quick. Yeah, yeah. It was old old E. And I I loved it. I became best friends with everybody. And I ended up staying at that house for five days. Not There was like 20 of us just lived there for five days until the break was over and had to go back to our parents. And uh, yeah, I was, I was in the ninth grade and I told my mom when she picked me up, I was like, mom, I'm not going to live with you guys anymore. I'm just going to go explore and I'm going to go figure out my life. And she yeah. just looked at me like I was nuts. And that's what I did. I left at 15 and I just, I lived with my grand, my grandmother kind of pseudo adopted me uh-huh. and I was just able to run amok. I became a latchkey kid. I had access to mass transit. I was just, wow. all, I was going to Portland all the time and that's how it started. It's yeah. just, that's I became a daily user of like marijuana drinking and like other things would come in. And at first it was a lot of fun. And of course it got really ugly. So that's the only time I've been to Portland, I I was probably 20 and we went to Burnside, the skate park out there. And that was a blast, man. The skate culture out there is awesome. 
Yeah. Okay. So I lived underneath that bridge for a whole summer. <laughs> Are you serious? And no I, just, way. I lived underneath the Burnside Bridge and just hung out with the skaters. I couldn't That's skate. Rad. Yeah. Yeah. So I lived under. I was a squatter. It's like the movie My Own Private Idaho. <laughs> Dude, I don't think it's I've a seen Gus that Van movie. Yeah, I, we just broke into buildings on the east side and just lived in them for weeks at a time. Really? So you're just squatting like, and trying to? We were just squatting. You couldn't do that anymore. But in the yeah. early '90s, oh yeah, that so was huge. Not that I'm, I'm, I'm not advocating doing this. No, yes, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of that movie uh, Kids. Remember that movie Kids? Yeah, like, it was a lot yeah. like that. Yeah, it was a lot like that. 80s and 90s were a uh, were were a different time for sure. So, um, okay, so you're kind of you're kind of squatting and you're living this free life and um, you know telling moms like, okay, I'm out of here. I'm gonna go explore. Like, kind of where where does it go from there? Like, how does it start to get into some serious? um, Well, the darker stuff happened. Also, the 90s was all about rave culture. Oh, and so I started going. I started going to raves. I started throwing raves. I've got into MDMA and all ecstasy. Yeah. And I got into the harder drugs, um, experimented with heroin here with smoking heroin, you know, just, just wanting the party to keep going. I didn't want yeah. it to stop. I, I had the, 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 the bad feelings of not being able to live with my parents and mm. my friends would go home at the end of the night or after a weekend of partying, they'd go home. And I just was, I didn't have anywhere really to go. Yeah. And, uh, it was kind of lonely. So I just wanted the party to go to never end. So it was about the, I would say starting in like 97, 98 is when things got really dark. Yeah. So really dark. Do you think like, um, cause that's a good point. Like when you say you don't want the party to end, I think a lot of us who have this addiction, you know, mentality or traits or however you want to look at it thing that's lives in us. Um, we don't want to stop. It's like pedal to the metal, you know? And yeah. so when, the, when, when everyone's going home, I don't want to go home. I want to keep going or, or, or yeah. if it gets too dark enough, I want to keep going or just kill me. You know what I mean? Cause I don't yeah. even care anymore at that. And that's obviously yeah. for a lot of us in the later stages, but um, yeah. when you didn't have, when you didn't have anywhere to go, um, do you think that that was uh, like a, like a way just to kind of numb out so you don't have to really feel stuff. You can just stay oh, high, sure. you know, I'm, I'm not going to get high. I stay high. You know what I mean? And I'm just going to sure. kind of go from there. Yeah, totally. I mean, totally. I mean, there were times where even the skate park would be empty and the skate park was always going on. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know how to skate. And I'm the only person <laughs> in the skate park in Portland. Yeah. It was just a weird time. Yeah. That's so crazy. It, was, it was, there was loneliness. And, and once I got too lonely, I'd find something, I'd find yeah. someone to go hang out with. Yeah. So, um, so what, uh, you know, what, what kind of took you as you mentioned like the late nineties, 98, 97, 98, that's when it kind of started to get serious. Are you still raving at the time at this point or are you yeah. just, Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, I was, I was throwing yeah. parties. I was coming to San Francisco and throwing parties. Yeah. It was fun, but I was, it was, I was getting into darker, harder stuff. Yeah. And the people that I was hanging out with changed in the beginning, my friends were kind of funky and we yeah. listened to Neo soul and we were like the roots and all that kind of stuff. And then it got into this kind of dark vampire new wave. Oh yeah. Everybody's wearing white makeup and black lipstick all of a sudden. Reminds me of that and, movie Party Boy with Macaulay uh, yeah. Culkin. <laughs> that yeah, was one yeah, of the yeah. craziest. Party I mean, I know, I, yeah, Party Monster. That's what it was. Party, Party Boy. Monster. That's, uh, Party Boy is a it character is. by Steve-O, I think, from Jack. Yeah, <laughs> hey, check, yeah check that's this. a good comparison. It was a lot like that, I guess, just on the West Coast. What do you know about this? Anything? Oh yeah, is that? Is, well, it's not Mark Farina, is it? It is the San Francisco it, sessions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dope. Yeah, that's what man. I grew up with. Yeah. And I only yeah. bring that up because my lady was into, you know, Jess was big into the rave scene and like that was her favorite artist was Mark Farina or DJ. Yeah. And, and so we would always bump around. I, I wasn't, I was more a punk rock style, but I, you know, would listen to stuff too, but she introduced sure. me to Mark Farina and he, he, I still put it on every now and again, we'll bump it and stuff, but that's yeah. some fun stuff, man. For sure. But, um, but yeah, so where, where does it go? Where does it kind of go into where it gets like, man, like this is a problem. Like what, did you have that moment? Like where you woke up and, or, yeah. or where you were like, man, this is, this is an issue and I might need to get yes. some help. Cause I know I dual diagnosis that. is a, a part of your story too. Yeah. So when I know the exact date and not the date, but I know it was Christmas Eve of 2000. It was Christmas Eve of 2000. So a few years goes by I'm working in what I'm working in a nice posh restaurant as a busser and a bar back and uh, in a place uh, called Oba in the Pearl District of Portland, like the, that was the up and coming sexy new neighborhood in the nineties. Yeah. 
And I was working there, making great money, had, you know, the pretty people friends and, and things. I, at that, I, was, I was slowing down on doing the heavier drugs for a while, and I was yeah. just drinking with my friends. And then I remember it was, it was Christmas Eve two, 2000, and I had the flu, and I had like 103-degree temperature. I was really sick, oh, and man. my friends called me, and they were like, we're at the Tiger Bar, and that's a place where I used to spin drum and bass on Thursday nights. And, uh, and it was, I think, I don't remember what day Christmas Eve was, but they're like, you got to come down here. You got to come down here. Everybody's at the bar. And I'm like, I, I'm sick. And they're like, you got to come. Oh, so I ended up getting dressed and going down there. And I'm sick. I mean, I'm coughing and yeah. I just look bad. I'm white. Hmm. And I'm laying down at this big booth where there's a big kind of like VIP booth table. And there's like, everybody's stacked in the booth. I get in the center and we're all smoking back when you can still smoke in bars. <laughs> or at least that bar. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I remember going to the bathroom to wash my hands and I look at my face and I was just, I was white and my face was all gone. I weighed, oh, I weighed like 148 pounds. I weigh 200 pounds. Now I'm six foot one. I, I wasn't even a buck 50. And I'm just like, yeah. I was just, I was, I was a ghoul, you know? And, How old uh, were you at that time? I was 21. Oh wow. I was so 21. Still young. So, yeah. I mean, I was yeah. young. I yeah. was really young. And I just, I looked at myself and I'm like, this is crazy. And so I went back to the table and I said, Hey guys, I got to go. I got to go lay down. Mm. And then, um, a couple days later, they showed me a photo of all of us in the booth together. And I just looked like I was a ghost. They all looked happy and they had, they had color in their face and I just looked dead. Wow. And the, and the, and I remember being bothered by the, or disturbed by the fact that none of them noticed, none of them even noticed. They were just like, it, it, it all they cared about was that the party was there. Yeah. And, and I can relate to that, you know, but I was like, wow, this isn't, this is a problem. And I wouldn't quit. I'd go another, another year. I wouldn't quit until like November, the day after Thanksgiving of 2001. So I went another year of doing it. Dang. So when you didn't yeah. want to do it, I know that feeling too. Like you swear up and down, you're going to stop. You don't yeah. want to live this life, but like you can't, you literally can't stop. You yeah. just keep going. You know, that's, it's, it's really frustrating, you know? For um, sure. So uh, what was, what was the moment where you actually got some help? Like, what did that look like for you? I know um, oh. it can go back and forth for a lot of people. That little voice up there, I'm fine. I can yeah. do this. No, I need some help. You know, like, what was it that kind of did it for you? So that's, the, this is the thing. Cause like most of my story isn't even about the using. It was a brief time. It was, yeah. it was, um, it was seven years where I used pretty much daily. And then when I quit in 2001, I was 22 years old. I just quit everything. It was the day after Thanksgiving. And I moved back home with my grandmother. I, mean, I, I knew I needed to get out of the city. All my friends lived in my, I lived in Northwest Portland. I needed to get away from everything I knew. So I, I'm like, grandma, I got to move home. And she let me. And, I, and I, I kicked everything at my grandmother's house. Like my grandmother played my nurse. Oh, and I wow. was just, the, the kicking of everything, the sweats, all that stuff. My grandmother was helping me. I never went to hospitals or anything. Yeah. Um, wow. I didn't go to my first AA meeting until 2009. So I went eight years of just dry. And that's, that's where, why I wrote, that is the main reason why I wrote the darkest chapter, because I thought that, Oh, I'm going to quit drinking. I'll have maybe a hard year. This yeah. next year will suck. It just got darker and darker. Like my <laughs> depression, anxiety yeah. kept getting worse. And yeah. I started seeing a therapist in 2006, but 2002 to 2006, those four years, I was just out in crazy land. Yeah. Not understanding why I wasn't getting better. I wasn't feeling better. I was just feeling worse. Like that, that dry drunk yeah. mental illness side. Yeah. I think that's such a good, uh, you know, kind of testament to the fact that drugs and alcohol is the tool that we use to deal with stuff. Um, yeah. you know, versus, I mean, yeah, it's a problem obviously for, for many of us, but like, it's not really the underlining issue of, of what, yeah. you know, it's, what are we trying to cover up? So, you know, and as you were kind of saying that I was looking at this and I know, you know, in, uh, in the second book, the darkest chapter, a messy guide to dual diagnosis, I'd like to title this podcast, the truth behind dual diagnosis, because I don't know that we've really went into great detail or at least even a little bit of detail about what dual diagnosis is. Um, right you know, what, what are some of those signs that someone might look for that might be uh, an issue and you know, what better person than yourself to kind of speak on this okay. a little bit and talk about the book. So maybe we can dive into that, that part a little sure. bit. It's really interesting. Yeah. So 
this is how, this is my experience. Cause this is, I found a touchy subject for a lot of people, like getting into dual diagnosis. Yeah. So you've got doctors, what they say, you've got people in AA, what they're saying, and you've got the person that's supposedly dealing with the dual diagnosis. What I learned was, okay, so I quit drinking in 2000, 2001, November 26th. And my depression, first the anxiety and depression kind of slowly went away. It was like my body was just happy to be healthy or something. Yeah. But then about, and I started going to the gym every day. And that was another big thing. I started sleeping. So my body was like, ah, oh, taking a vacation. But what I always, what I personally call the mental illness side of addiction, it started creeping in around 2004, 2005. I was going back to college mm. and I started having these panic attacks and I would just lose my eyesight. <clears throat> I would need to sit down. I'd be dizzy. Then I'd go home and it would follow with severe depression. I would just lay in bed the next day. And this would go on for a few years and I couldn't work wow. full time. It was, it got crazy. I couldn't work more than 25 hours a week. I, I had to drop out of school with just an associate's degree. And, I, and I'm like, I'm sober. What's the problem? And in 2005, my father, my biological father calls me and he's like, Marcus, I got to tell you something. I've never told you before, but I was diagnosed with bipolar two disorder a few years back. I know you're having some problems. You should go look into it. So that's, I think, and maybe a, a year later, I finally went to um, a psychiatrist, but that's because I was going every month to the emergency room for depression and anxiety wow. and I wasn't sleeping. And I'm like, what's my problem? I can't yeah. sleep. I wouldn't sleep for two, three days at a time. And doctors would always ask me what drugs I was on. They'd ask me all the questions they ask. And I'm like, I'm sober. I've been sober for this and that. I always had that badge of honor. I'm sober. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah. then, so it would take a while, but I got a psychiatrist. I got, a, um, and I got a therapist and I saw a nurse practitioner. I had like four doctors at one time for three years. And finally they're like, this looks like possibly bipolar two disorder. And so we would just, they tried medications on me, everything from lithium, Xanax to Seroquel to Depakote. We tried like eight or nine different meds over the course of a year and a half. Yeah. And they finally found exactly what I needed. I, I'll just be honest. I take a small dose of Celexa and a small dose of Depakote and antipsychotic and it keeps me balanced. I take yeah. the minimum amount. I'm not like just popping pills. I yeah. just yeah. I take a minimum amount and it's like, uh, I've been balanced, pretty balanced since about, I would say comfortably balanced since about 2010. But I mean, it took some time. It took about three years to really get it, yeah. to, to get my life to flow again. So, and that's, that was my experience was like, I, no matter what, I'd be on a bus, I'd be at home, I'd be talking to friends and this, this anxiety would come crashing in depression, sleeping for 18 hours at a time for, for months on end. And I'm like, yeah. wow. I got to see somebody. And that's what I started really looking into it. So, and then so, there was, Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go, go ahead. Go ahead. Keep going. Okay. So my problem with the whole thing was I'd be in an AA meeting or something or Al-Anon, or I'd be going in the 12 step program and there would be somebody that would say like, if you're on medication, you're not sober. There was like this conflicting message. Yeah. And at first I felt a lot of shame and guilt around it really and until I started opening up about it. And it was, there's was a, not a lot, but there were people um, young and old, different age ranges that were, they were very vocal. And this has been in Portland, Key West. I've been, I've been to meetings all over the country, all over yeah. the world. And there's always going to be that person. That's like, if you, if, if you use anything outside of the big book or outside of any book or whatever, or you're not sober. And I was just like, that broke my heart, yeah. you know? I, I just, I don't want to interrupt, but I just want to say, like, I just, I, I hate that. Like, I, I hate to hear that. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. it, everyone's situation, everyone's experience is different. And like the, I feel like the last thing that anybody needs to feel from other people when walking into a, a 12 step room or any room of group, you know, therapy or discussion or anything is shame and guilt. There's enough of that just having to walk in, you know, that you're dealing yeah. with yourself. And so, um, you know, I, I think to, to your point, um, you're sharing your experience with this. And I think if we all yeah. kind of stick to that, it can kind of help ease some of that, man. I, I don't sure. like people who I hate when people do that stuff, man. It's tough. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and I've gotten that point too. I've mentioned in meetings over the years. I'm like, if anybody's bullying you about this, come to me and talk to me. Yeah. And like, I'm there for you. Cause like some people, another reason why I wrote the book, the darkest chapter was 
I was at the dry dock in San Francisco, um, yeah. world famous uh, sober house cafe. Love that place. And um, there was a young woman with, she said she had 12 years of sobriety. And it was, I was at like a 1230 PM meeting or a noon meeting or something on a Saturday. And she's like, I've been sober for 12 years. And she's like, I have to admit I'm suicidal right now. And I don't know who to talk to. And I take medication and there's people in these rooms that like, you know, they say horrible things to me afterwards or they tell me to get off the meds. And when she said that, that was like, I've got to write because there's that chapter in the, I think in the big book where they're like, there could be a whole chapter written about the manic depressive. And I'm yeah. like, I'm going to write that chapter Yeah, because awesome. I've been manic. I've been depressed. So I felt so bad for her. It's like, cause I mean, I've been there where I've been sober for years and I'm like, I can't get out of bed. Yeah. So Just it's totally strange. That's not and... why I got sober. Yeah. So. Yeah. See, I haven't dealt myself with a lot of depression. Um, but my wife has, I mean, postpartum stuff and depression. And like, it's hard for somebody who hasn't experienced it firsthand to understand, I think fully, like I can show compassion and try to be there for her and stuff too. But, um, you know, there's just times where I just, I, I don't get it. You know what I mean? And until you're in that situation, I think yeah. it's tough to have where you just, you feel like the way my wife described it, and maybe you can relate to this too, is just really feeling of hopelessness and just discouragement. Yeah. And just like you literally, like you said, you just don't want to get out of bed. You just want to lay yeah. there. And, um, now that said, even though I personally haven't experienced that, I just want to say for those out there listening too, there's hope for that. There's, you're not alone in it. Like, um, you can get through it. And, um, you know, the first part is, is kind of reaching out. So how, how hard was that for you to kind of reach out and to, and to keep going and Re really fast? I just noticed that, um, Peter being in the meeting, um, it gave us a time limit on this meeting now. So it's, it's telling me I have seven minutes left, so we may have to bounce off this call and, uh, and, and redo it and hop on another one real quick. Okay. As a matter of fact, can we just say what's up to Peter real quick? Cause I've never had someone's homie Peter. call into the show. Like while we're recording <laughs> Peter. it, Peter, let me take you off mute. What's up, Peter. Hey, what's up dog. So what, what's the story behind you two real quick? Like you guys are homies. Like, and then you just jumped on the call today. I think it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, I, I I jumped on the call. I'm not super familiar with the app, so I yeah. uh, I you know, me being in the in the call wasn't uh an intentional move on my part. All good. Uh, but me and Marcus here. go way back. Me and Marcus go back a number of years. Uh, I don't, I don't really. He 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 remembers how we became friends more more than I do. Uh, cause well, well, what, 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 what. Why don't we have Marcus? <laughs> Are you in recovery, Peter? <laughs> oh yeah, I've been sober uh, uh, what a dozen years now, something like Damn, that. Coming nice, up on bro. a dozen. Congratulations, uh, man! That's awesome. Yeah, and um, and and me and Marcus, uh, um, homies I, for well, life. I, I, yeah. I What's that? I said ho homies for a long time. It sounds like oh, you're kind of cutting up yeah. anyway, man. So I'm going to put you back on mute, but I just wanted to holler at you and just, uh, thanks for saying what's up. Congrats on 12 years, man. And, uh, it's cool. Cool to meet you, bro. Yeah. Thanks. Peter. Thanks man. Right on. All right. Sweet. That's cool, man. I love that stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. So in, in case if we, if we're, if we get cut off in the middle, um, Sure. You know, maybe I'll just, I'll, I'll grab a new, uh, I guess I'll have to shoot you a new link or whatever. Okay. Um, whatever yeah, you want to do. I got about six minutes. So, okay. But go, go ahead, man. I'm sorry. Where the heck do we leave off now? I kind of got off track a little bit, but, um, let's see. We were kind of diving into reaching out for help. I think on what that point, oh, yeah. and we were talking yeah. about depression too. I was talking a little bit about the depression piece. Yeah. Um, so what, what did that look like? The well, dual diagnosis. All that. When I, the, when I first reached out to help for help, personally, it was with two groups called NAMI and DBSA. And uh, DBSA stands for Depression Bipolar Support Alliance, and NAMI is the National Alliance of Mental Illness. And they, they're like, they're kind of, it's kind of like people with schizophrenia or severe unipolar depression or just all those different mental illnesses. There's meetings to go to for those people. That's where I started. I mean, I, I, I grew up with hearing about AA and Al-Anon and CODA and all that from my biological father and my father's side of the family. We're all in programs, but I was just didn't want to go to those for whatever reason. Yeah. So I started going on to these Tuesday and Thursday meetings at this. I think it was the uh, Good Samaritan Hospital in Portland, Oregon. 
and um, I met I met a guy who became kind of a mentor to me. And um, I just went to these hour long meetings on Tuesdays and Thursdays from seven to eight. And that was the first time I really understood I wasn't alone. There was groups of people that showed up 15, 20 people every week. And we would talk about stuff and we would just, I, I was living with it all by myself and just going to doctors and holding on for dear life. And that was my first experience with, Oh, there's help out there. So I would volunteer and I started my own meeting that still goes on today and that's going strong nice. and um, in Portland, Oregon. And I would volunteer and go on marches and I would, you know, be out in the, like, you know, Broadway in Portland and just, we'd all be marching and, you know, just with positive things to say, you yeah. know, but I was just finally involved with some sort of community. And then I branched off in 2009 with um, 12 step programs. So I kind of, I used both for a while then I just moved towards just the 12 step kind of model. Got it. So, so, tw- so 12 step is your gig. Mm-hmm. That's what's really helped you in yeah. you kind of dove into that. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think the, um, not a loaded question, but I don't know if there's a right or right or wrong answer that I'm just kind of curious. Like there's such a stigma still behind 12 step for a lot of people. And like, for me, the way I try to explain it is like kind of what we were talking about earlier. I feel like people, especially new, uh, and, and my, this is my own experience even is we get so hung up on the fact that I have this drinking problem or this drug problem and I'm a bad person and drugs are bad and I'm drinking and I'm drugging. And it's like, man, that's just the surface of it. When we get into a 12 step program or whatever program that somebody chooses to do, um, you start peeling back the layers of that, you know, of, of why you're actually using that stuff. And that's what a 12 step program does. That's what a group therapy or therapy in that does. And, uh, there's a lot of fear for people to walk into the rooms, man. Why do you think that is? Mm, I think there's a few things going on. Um, what I've noticed in like just the years, the, the thousands of hours we've spent listening and talking, um, there's a few things going on. It's like, uh, there's the higher power aspect. Yeah. A lot of people are kind of freaked out by the higher power concept. And like, I, you know, it's like somebody telling you, you got to find something bigger than yourself that's freaky. That's what I had a hung up. I was hung up on that for a while. I went to Catholic school for a few years. So I was afraid of God. Sure. Um, you know, and then it took even a while. It took me a couple of years for my sponsor to really help me understand that, Oh, it can be a higher power of my choice. Yeah. And I'm like, what does that even mean? Cause I mean, I grew up with no choices. It was Roman Catholic God, you know? Yeah. And, uh, so there's the higher power. There's that wall, I think. And, and some people, some people, they're lonely and they don't necessarily want to quit drinking or using. They just want it. They sometimes just want attention. Yeah. And that's kind of, I don't know other well, any other way to say it. Some people yeah. come into these rooms just wanting attention. Let's and uh, they get it for, I'm, you know, a I'm few a, days. I'm going to stop you right there. And we're going to pick yeah. up. I'm going to end this right now. And then yeah. I'm going to, um, I'll shoot you a link and we'll hop sure. right back on. Okay. Sure. Sure. All right. Cool. So let, let's, let's jump back in here. So um, I wanted to ask you, you know, do you think that, cause I actually grew up in the Catholic church as well. Catechism, first communion did, did, you know, everything that I was supposed to do as a, as a kid, at least, you know, yeah. um, and growing up, but I never myself really experienced a relationship with God. And I feel like, um, you know, in some conversations I've had with different people, sometimes it's hard to, um, differentiate the difference between um, a relationship with something higher and religion. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people get hung up on, on the religion part of it. And it really deters them from actually pursuing that spiritual relationship, no matter what it is. It doesn't have, I don't, you know, to each his own, everyone's thing may be different. That's, that's awesome. Um, But do you, do you find some, you know, some truth to that? Or have you had any of those types of conversations with other people? Yes. I, well, with myself, I can go with myself too. Mm -hmm. What you just said, that's my experience as well. It took me years. I kind of just, I did what my my sponsor told me to do. I have spiritual mentors, meditation guys. I just did what they said because I wanted to feel better. It would take me years to feel anything. And it, and I don't know if it's a placebo effect of repeating it, if it's just, you know, like muscle memory or just doing this, like, like a, 
like a martial arts move. You practice it enough, you get good at it. Yeah. It took me years to feel anything authentic. And um, in my experience, like just this, this whole COVID situation, I, I've been, I've been feeling my higher power through this whole last couple of months. It's been, yeah. a, it's been a trip. Yeah. It's been genuine. And I'm like, I'll pray. And like, I'm doing better now than when I got, than I was three months ago, like yeah. in all ways, it's just weird. It's, awesome. it's really, and I have a lot of friends that are struggling and, and whether it be with depression because of this whole lockdown or just yeah. stress. I'm like, I feel, I feel good. It's weird. But over the years, what I've noticed with people, yeah. I mean, what you said, a lot of people have that hang up. It's like a lot of, there's a lot of, um, human beings can make really great ideas really dark. Like I think 12 yeah. step programs and most religions, and I think all of them on paper, they're pretty much perfect, but then you get people in the mix. Yeah. They mess you got it a couple all up. thousand years. <laughs> yeah. People do weird stuff and they make it dark and they, they tell their kids, if you don't do that, this somebody's going to come get you or it's yeah, just, it's terrible. It's, it's terrible. I, uh, you know, you, you said something that really stands out too. And I want those, you know, for this goes for myself, for all of us, but especially those in early recovery too. Like, you know, whether you're in 12 step or not, so you call it a sponsor, a mentor, um, a pastor, whoever, whatever it is, whoever it is that you are seeking counsel from, um, or community from, you know, find somebody you trust and do what they say. Like you said, I took the advice from my sponsor yeah. because I wanted to get help. And there's, there's a sense of desperation in that for a lot of us. I know in my own story, I was completely desperate. They go, what happened? How'd you finally mm -hmm. get sober? Man, I was desperate. I either wanted to drink more or just die like straight up, mm -hmm. you know? So, um, taking advice, having counsel, having good people around us is such a huge part. Um, is that so how, what does your community look like even being, you know, years in recovery? Wow, like today, I mean, I've got, I have what I consider a sponsor and a mentor in Portland, Oregon mm -hmm. that I've had since 2010-ish, 2009. I've got a guy in Key West um, that he's a mentor of mine still for the last almost five years. Yeah. Um, so I've got East Coast, West Coast covered, yeah. you know. I've got um, a, a really, an uncle of mine. I mean, that guy is a meditation guru. It's like, he's got the yeah. best advice for things. So I go to my uncle in, in Oakland. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I've got some, I have some really, really good friends that I've been able to spend time with throughout all this drama that's going on. Yeah. I've been hanging out, having like once a week dinner parties with one or two friends at a time, you know, that's it's cool. like keeping, trying to keep things as normal as possible, but also, you know, but one of the things you said was community. And I've learned through the years that what a lot of this is about, even outside, there's, there's the higher power piece, but there's just community. Like having friends is important. <laughs> yeah. and, having, and having people you trust is important. And um, I grew up in a family where you did everything on your own. You were self-reliant. You didn't need people. Yeah. You picked yourself up by your bootstraps. You worked really hard. That's a hard way to live, doing everything on your own. Yeah. You know, and I'm just like, I think it took me years to be okay with asking for help from just friends. Can I, can we talk on the phone? I've got an issue. I'm not feeling good. Yeah, that's good. It took me, I didn't start becoming comfortable with that until maybe four years ago. You know, yeah. it's like, there's, this is, there's a reason why we call this life work. It takes a long time. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, so, so I mean, I've got a group of friends. I can go to a handful of cities in the country and I'll have a group of friends to go talk to, which is great. And that's just from traveling around and taking risks, you know, going to AA meetings. See, I love that, man, because stepping out, you know, <laughs> alcohol, drugs isolates us. It tends to yeah. push us back. We're not outgoing. We want to be alone. We want all the drugs to yeah. ourselves. We want all the time to ourselves. Very selfish, right? And the flip side to that is completely stepping out in, uh, in trust and faith, whatever you want to call it new, um, you know, trying new things out and you meet people along the way and create relationships and growth and all that stuff. And man, I'd be a liar if I said it wasn't a little bit scary at times. I'm sure you'd probably agree yeah. with that, but the, the fear in that it's really weird. It's, it's a good fear. It's like a good feeling in your stomach, yeah. stepping out and, and, and creating like a network, a community of people 
that can help support you and build you up and, and be positive. That's what that those relationships are really what help. I think, um, us be able to stay sober, you know? Yeah. I think that, I think that fear that you just mentioned, um, I think that's what, I think that kind of fear is, is literally for me, what growth feels like. If it had a feeling when you're growing, yeah. I think that fear, that fear that happens first, that's like, oh, I'm actually literally growing, whether it be spiritually, yeah. socially. But I think everybody goes through that like stage fright. The first time you get up and talk to whomever, if you're a stand-up comic, yeah. that I think that's, that's growth and it's good, you know? Yeah, totally, man. And when we see, when we learn that and when we learn to use that in a positive manner and almost expect it and know that it's, that fear is a good thing in sense, we're stepping out. Uh, there's a lot of power I feel like behind that, you know what I mean? A lot of power, uh, in a, in a good way, you know what I mean? Projecting positive energy, love, all that good stuff that, uh, that helps get us, uh, Uh, out of the darkness. So, um, let's, uh, let's jump into the books real quick, man, before we, before we wrap up today. So I got the junk knowledge copy here. Um, I love the cover, man. Thank you so much again for sending both books over. Um, I guess, uh, well, I guess the first question would ask you, and for those out there listening, I put both links in the show notes. So all you got to do is just go in the show notes of this episode. You can click on the link. It'll take you right to Amazon. You can check out either book, but let's start with junk knowledge. Why should people pick up this book? So I also want to start, the front cover was done by a good friend of mine. Um, his name is Mario. He's a tattoo artist over oh. at Moth and Dagger. Moth and, yeah. is that Moth and Dagger. Is that it's right Francisco? downtown. Yeah, I think I, I, think I have yeah, heard of that place. Great guy. He did that for me. That's awesome. What's his name again? Uh, is, is, he goes, uh, his name is Mario. Mario. Okay, nice, dude. I'll, I'll have yeah. to check it out because I love the cover yeah. of this, man. It is yeah, awesome. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. So why? So what? Why would you say people should pick this book up? What's in it? What's like, I, what do you think? You know, for people listening, it just goes to this. I think it, I wrote that book because it's, it goes back to the ancient need of needing to be heard. Like mm-hmm. I needed to be heard for this. Or I needed to just let it all out. And I think that's why a lot of writers do that or yeah. painters paint. It's like, cause I, I grew up in a time or I grew up in a, in a family where, and there's nothing, I don't know if this is wrong or right or whatever, but I grew up in a, in a family where like kids are more to be seen than heard. Right. And it's like, I swear we're cousins, bro. I'm pretty sure we're yeah. cousins. Cause it's like everything yeah. you say, I'm like, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. It's why I think why it's guys like us get into, you're doing what you're doing right now. I'm yeah. do, we're talking it's yeah. like we're exchanging ideas. We wanted to do this a long time ago. We just, I, I've always wanted to be heard and not all people want to communicate. I'm just a communicator and I need, there was things that I wasn't given quote unquote. And it's no, I don't blame anybody anymore. It's everybody's doing their best, yeah. but I just wanted to let it out. It's just like, there were some scary, scary times. There were some great times and, and I got through it all and that's all in the past now. And I think everybody has a story worth telling. I think everybody does. And it's, it's not, I've read the book. It's not the best written book, but it's a fun, it's just, I love it. I love the stories in there. And um, there's stories that I've, there's the chapters are super short and condensed. They're just stories I've told in the past anyways. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah, I was a drug addict and I ran away from home and I, there's a whole mess of stuff that happened. There's mental illness. There's, electroshock therapy it's all in there it's like that's crazy it's it's crazy you know and i signed up for all of it it's i mean it's also it's about taking responsibility for yourself yeah so that's what it's really about it's not just about oh boohoo i was an addict and and now i'm all shiny and new but it's like taking responsibility is that was a major message there it's like i can't blame my parents for everything forever i'm not going to go anywhere doing that and that's what it's about well i love to like the the art piece, you know, the, ex- the expression piece. Yeah, go I ahead. Got, I got go a phone ahead. ringing. Sorry. Go ahead, man. The book is junk knowledge once again, by the way. So I'll put the link I said in the show notes, check out the cover of it. It is awesome. Um, and then what's Marcus's other book right here, the darkest chapter. And we'll, uh, we'll put this in the show notes as well. A messy guide to dual diagnosis and, uh, 
um, where he dives into a little bit more right, about the about diagnosis. That. Oh, that's okay, man. I was just kind of checking out both books here. Yeah. Again, too. But real, real quick, before we move on to the darkest chapter, I, I was just saying like that. I think the art piece, like you said, like, I just wanted to write, like, I just wanted to outlet. I wanted to be heard. I yeah. wanted to express myself, get this stuff out of here. Like for me, a lot of people, you know, and a lot of other people do that through writing, through music, um, whatever it is where you, you kind of feel like you have, um, you know, you want to express yourself in some yeah. sense, man. And it's such a good outlet. We hear that a lot about writing and getting that stuff out on paper. I know like when I was in treatment myself, it helped a bit to write, but I got to tell you, bro, you've already written two books. Writing a book is not an easy thing, right? I mean, it takes some time. <laughs> There's a ton of work that goes into it too. How long did it take you to write junk knowledge See, or was it already well, compiled? This is the thing. I wrote four books in one year. Wow. And dang, like, that's crazy, bro. The, it's, it's not the writing that now we're getting to a whole other topic. Yeah. It's not, yeah. it's not the writing that's hard. That for me spills out. Yeah. It's the, the editing, getting it edited five times and oh, the, getting yeah. the, the artist to do the front cover and getting so all the back end work. Yeah. Yeah. It's working with others. That's the hard part. And it goes to my addiction. I want everything done now. <laughs> getting those books, yep. getting those books done. I was a nervous wreck. I mean, I can write it. I wrote, I wrote junk knowledge in 10 weeks. Dang. And like, that's I wrote, great. I wrote the darkest chapter in like three weeks. Really? Like I just, I just, it just came out. So what was your, pro uh, if you don't mind me asking, what was your process in that? Like I've heard, I've heard a couple of things like write two crappy pages a day, you know, sit down, block out, uh, you know, 30 minutes in this time or an hour in this time. Like, did yeah. you have a process where schedule wise? Like, what do you, if someone out there was listening uh, and they wanted to start writing a book, like what advice would you give them with that? Block some well, time out or just go with it? Like, I have a couple of friends that they go to a cafe every uh -huh. day at nine in the morning. They have two guys and they're both in their early sixties, really well-known writers. Yeah. They go to a cafe over in the inner Richmond area every day, like clockwork. Really? But I'm like, I'm a binger. I'm an all or nothing. <laughs> I write yeah. until I, I, I don't sleep well for yeah. a couple of weeks. I, I write the way I used to use oh, wow. like drugs and alcohol. I just, I just go, I just, yeah. I'll write it's 15 a flow, pages huh? one day. And then wow. I'll write 15 more and then I won't write for a week. It's just, yeah, it's, 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 I'm not disciplined. Like, like you're thinking <laughs> it's a freestyle. No, I love it. It's freestyle and everyone's style. I think whether we're talking recovery, yeah. writing, whatever is a little bit yeah. different. And I feel like the, the person who, you know, like you're saying that the, the two guys who meet every day, like for me, and it sounds like for you too, when I schedule stuff like that, I just don't want to mm -hmm. go. <laughs> I don't I'm like, go. yeah, I don't want to yeah. go to that. I just scheduled it. Like I just let me do it whenever the heck I want. And then yeah. when I get on that wave, I'll just ride that wave as long as I can, you know? Yeah. It's no, crazy. I'm learning with I'm learning with art is it's like there is it's dedication there's all this stuff that goes that you need to be organized but you also got to be free at the same time yeah and it all it's for me it just it mirrors my my addiction and how my brain works it's like I need to have a routine I have to work out almost every day of the week yeah. if yeah. I don't work out I get sad <laughs> so, yeah. so I need the adrenaline and everything um, but then I have to learn how not to overwork out and hurt myself. Yeah, you know? sure. And eating, eating right, but not eating too much, or you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like it's all the same. Yeah, ev everything kind of in somewhat of a moderation factor, I guess. Yeah. Um, so, then, yeah. oh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, and then like two guys like us saying moderation. Oh gosh, yeah, that's like almost comical. I think it's like crazy. It's, uh, <laughs> it's not easy for sure, but but like I mean, to your point, like yeah, I we're conscious of it now, you know, and I've, I've definitely gotten better at it, but perfection. I mean, this whole, that ain't going to happen. This whole thing is a process. So for anyone out there who thinks that like one day you arrive, like I have not arrived. Marcus has not arrived. Like we never arrive. We're just, we're, we're doing this thing called life, trying to do the best thing job we can do. And that's, yeah. you know, that's really it. But so the darkest chapter, you talk a lot about dual diagnosis in there. Mm -hmm. um, for anyone who's interested in that, um, or just the book itself, dual diagnosis, your story, whatever. What, can you give a little little piece of that and why why someone might want to check that one out? Well, I wrote that. One of the reasons why I wrote it was it was like the young woman that I that I spoke about earlier about her having all this time yeah. sober and being depressed. My experience, it was it's kind of like, I mean you know, what is dual diagnosis on paper? What does it mean in the dictionary? And it's like, 
dual diagnosis is two separate illnesses, I guess. Like you're, let's say you're an alcoholic with bipolar disorder and it's, it looks like for a lot of us, it needs to be treated separately. Yeah. It's like you go to your AA meetings for alcoholism and all that kind of stuff. And you, maybe you go to your therapist and your psychiatrist for the other thing. And, um, I, I wrote it because it's, it's for everybody, but it's like when you are doing what you're supposed to be doing, you're going to your meetings, you're talking to your, your elders and your mentors, and you still feel alone and isolated and you're trying to feel happy for them. Yeah. Like, Hey, look, it's all working what we're doing, but you go home and you're like, I feel horrible. And there's a whole other, there's a whole other door to open. And a lot of people are scared of not only the higher power, but they're scared of doctors and the medical industry. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. you've got God and doctors. That's really scary, <laughs> yeah. you know? And it's like, sometimes you just have to, you got to pray and, or whatever you do, meditate yeah. and just, and just try. Yeah. Try so. something new, man. Well, that goes back to what we were saying earlier, man. Stepping out, getting uncomfortable a little bit, taking yeah. a little risk, having some faith, yeah. having some trust, uh, and, and just going for it. You know what? My, uh, my pastor here in Vacaville, pastor Dave Patterson, awesome dude. One of the things that's always stuck with me th that he said one time was, um, to experience the miraculous, you got to do the ridiculous or so it was some, yeah. something close to that. And that's always stuck true to me. And just that stepping out, getting uncomfortable and trying new things because God, higher power, whatever we refer to it as in the rooms, outside the rooms, um, miracles can happen. I can promise that. And, uh, there's things in, in that I've, I've experienced that I just go, I can't even believe that. How, you know what yeah. I mean? There's, and yeah. so, yeah, but we only do that by stepping out. So, uh, I got one last question for you, then we'll wrap this up. I want you to sure. make sure we, uh, let people know where they can find you at contact, you find the books, all that good stuff. But if you got someone struggling out there right now, uh, they got a family member, they're going through it, whether it's depression, addiction, alcoholism, whatever it is they're going through, man, any advice or words of encouragement for them, Marcus? Gosh, I mean, the only, the, what I did is I just kept trying. I mean, it's, it's like, there's no real guidebook to succeeding with what we're talking about. It's just, yeah. you keep trying. If you get a sponsor and you guys don't get along, get a new sponsor. It's, I mean, just keep trying, go to talk to someone that you, that if you trust just one person, go talk to them. They might know something and it will always lead to something else. So yeah. the only thing you can do is just get off get out of bed or the couch or whatever and just try. Yeah. It's, I, mean, I don't know what else to say. That's good, man. No, don't, don't give up. You know, we, we, we lose when we give up, as long as we keep trying, we win and we continue to win mm -hmm. in that. So that's, I think that's great advice, man. There's hope out there uh, to, to anybody or anybody's family member or whatever it is that you're struggling with. There's always hope. Um, Marcus, where can folks reach out to you? Uh, like I said, I put both the books in the show notes, uh, social mm -hmm. media, email, anything, feel free to drop it, man. I mean, email, I'm at marcusmarchand at gmail.com, easy, M-A-R-Q-U-E-S-M-A-R-C-H-A-N-D um, -E at gmail.com. Feel free to reach out. I'm here in San Francisco. Yeah, right on, man. And hopefully we uh, get to uh, travel here again soon because I used to be out in San Francisco quite a bit for work yeah. and all kinds of different stuff. So um, when that becomes available again, hopefully we can link up, dude, and grab some lunch yeah. or coffee or something, man. That'd be awesome. For bro. sure. Yeah, thank you. Thank you again for coming on. Make sure, tell Peter for me too, man, that uh, I appreciate that. That was cool. I'm <laughs> yeah. glad he got to hop on the podcast, man. That's awesome, yeah. dude. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Shane. Yeah, good stuff, brother. I'll talk to you later, man. All right. Bye. Thanks for tuning in today, folks. Uh, um, hope you got something out of this, man. Marcus is a great dude. And be sure to check out both the books, The Darkest Chapter and Junk Knowledge. Uh, if you're struggling, once again, you got lots of resources out there. There's some in the show notes. Zoom meetings if you're wanting to go digital. Promises has some meetings, and the phone number is in there, too, if you'd like to call and reach out to them. Uh, it's 888-205-1890. I love you guys. Thanks for supporting the show. Uh, rock your recovery proud. Peace, love, and respect, and keep your blood clean.